We're going to continue with our series in the Gospel according to John. Uh, This is our eighth part and uh, we're still only in chapter three but we've been enjoying our time together in John's Gospel and uh, we're going to look at the passage which I've entitled Look and Live. Look and Live. Now if you were here last week you'll remember that we looked at that very important passage where Jesus had a conversation with a very religious man, a high-ranking Jewish ruler, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And uh, the subject was vitally important. Jesus knew why he had come. He wanted to know about the kingdom of God. And Jesus got straight to the point. You remember? He said, you must be born again. If you are not born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. You will not enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. And then we saw that that term means to be born from above. It's a work of grace. It's something that only God can do. You had nothing to do with your natural birth. You had no part in that. You just arrived on the planet. And it's like that in the kingdom of God. It's a work of God a work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said this, it's, uh, you need to be born of water and of the Spirit. And you remember we looked at that word water, how, what he meant by that, and very clearly from the way that word is used in that gospel and in other places, it refers to the Word of God, to be born of the Word of God, because the Word of God is a seed, okay? It's a seed that brings new life. Now, This morning, we're going to look at the fact that there's something specific in the Word of God that gives that life. And it's, of course, the gospel, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the good news. The Bible is really pointing to this one thing that Jesus Christ came to die in our place and to save us from sin, to give us eternal life and righteousness, a right standing with God, to bring us into his family and to enable us to experience his love in such a wonderful way. That's the heart of the Bible. That's what it's all about. And that's what we need to believe. And when we believe that, then we are born of water and of the Spirit. The Spirit of God, as it were, fertilizes that seed in us and brings forth new life. Now remember, Jesus was talking to a Jewish person. So he wants to illustrate this point now in a way that this man will be very familiar with and that is he draws from the Old Testament one of the many many passages that illustrate or as a type or shadow or or pointing forward to Jesus and his work on the cross and that was this that when uh, the children of Israel were walking through the wilderness they were constantly complaining to God constantly whinging constantly murmuring against him and uh, it's, it's almost unbelievable when you think of what God did for them, that he rescued them from the most powerful nation where they were just a race of slaves. He brought them out. He even parted the Red Sea. They saw the Red Sea part so that they could walk over on the seabed on dry ground. And then when the the most powerful nation on earth, the the Egyptians, tried to pursue them, God caused the water to come back and the enemies were destroyed. They saw all that. They saw that when they were in a wilderness, God brought water out of a rock. He brought bread down from heaven. 
He looked over them in every way and watched over them and kept them and still they complained against God. And they even accused him of wanting to bring them out of Egypt into the wilderness to kill them after they'd seen all that. It's just unthinkable that people could stoop that low and think that about God. So God judged them. God chastened them. He sent, the Bible Bible says, fiery serpents, venomous snakes in amongst the camp of Israel. They were bitten. Uh, They became ill. Of course, they were dying. Many died and, and it was a catastrophe. And they called out to Moses and Moses interceded for them. And God told them, God told Moses, to make a serpent out of brass or bronze really and to set it on a pole and to lift it up walk through the camp lifting it up and whoever looked upon that serpent would be healed okay so Jesus is going to refer to that passage to illustrate how a person can be born again He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Wow. So Jesus referred to his crucifixion as his being lifted up on the cross. There are many forms of death and capital punishment, but God purposed that it would be through crucifixion through Jesus being lifted up on the cross that he would die and bring salvation to us and Jesus said to them this is looking at chapter John uh, John chapter 8 and verse 24 sorry 28 where he uses that term again Jesus said to them when you lift up the son of man then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself but as my father taught me I speak these things. Jesus was teaching the, the, uh, uh, the Jews and some of them were, were objecting and, and protesting and, and basically saying, well, what's going to happen is you're going to lift me up. And, and he meant, of course, on the cross. And when, when that happens, you will know that, that I've been sent as your saviour, your Messiah, your redeemer. And the Bible says after that, that many believed in him when he said that. Many believe him. And then we read in John chapter 12. He uses that term again. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Some people think that that means if we lift up Jesus in worship and praise, then people will come to him. But if we just read on, the context makes it clear that he was talking about the crucifixion. This he says signifying by what death he would die. He would be lifted up and through the cross he would draw all people to himself. Beautiful, beautiful illustration there. So the, ter- the serpent is a type or a picture of sin. We know that in its first mention, the first time the serpent or snake is mentioned in the Bible is of course when, when Satan used the serpent to entice or seduce Eve and ultimately Adam into sin. We know that. But also, God said to serpent that the, the, the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent and there will be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Now, the human race is the seed of the serpent because we're in sin. 
fact, Jesus often said to people, you, you're of your father, the devil. It sounds very, very radical, but that was the fact. And, and so we've all been bitten by the bite, the serpent's bite of sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. As in Adam, all sinned. Amen. And from the serpent's bite of sin, there is no cure except that which God provides in Jesus. That's the only way. How, we, we ask the question, then how can a serpent be a type of Christ? How can a serpent, of all the things you could choose as a picture of Jesus, surely the serpent would be the most obvious thing you would not use because it's a picture of sin. But notice that, that first of all, God says that Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Okay, he came, in the, he came with, with a nature like yours and mine, a human nature, with one exception, without sin. He did no sin, he knew no sin, in him there was no sin. Okay, so he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, God did not tell Moses to take a serpent, a live serpent, or even a dead serpent, and put it on a pole, but to make... A, a, a serpent out of bronze, something that looked like a serpent, the likeness of a serpent, set that on a pole and lift it up. And so that's what Jesus represents. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. And on the cross, he became sin for us. You know, all our sin, all our sin, past, present, future, the sin of the entire human race was placed on Jesus he became sin. Didn't become a sinner. He never sinned. Don't make that mistake. He never sinned. He was not a sinner, but he became sin. Sin was taken away from us and placed on him. Amen. And judged on the cross. And this is where we read in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. For he, that's God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He became sin, we became righteousness. You know, some people say God looks at us as if we are righteous. No, we are righteous. <laughs> it's not like you're playing games, you know, there's some sort of big screen and he's looking at us and seeing this, this righteousness, but we're not really righteous. No, we are now the righteousness of God. Just as he became sin, we became righteous because of what happened at the cross. Here we read in Galatians 3.13, Paul puts it a different way. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree or who is lifted up on the cross, which that is what that means. Now, it was a serpent of brass. Why is that? Because brass is a symbol of judgment in the Bible. You know, the, the altar where they came to bring the sacrifices was made of brass. It was the brazen altar. And uh, it was the biggest thing in the whole of the tabernacle furniture. In fact, you could take all the other pieces of the tabernacle furniture and put it within the, the, the size of 
the brazen order. It was the big thing. It was the first thing that confronted you when you came through the, 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 you know, into the outer court. There you were because you had to come and make a sacrifice to God. And, and it was made of brass. Why is that? Because the, the, the offering was completely consumed because of the heat. The fire consumed the offering, but the altar was not consumed. It was able to endure the fire. And that's a picture of Jesus in his humanity and in his deity. It was in his humanity that sin was destroyed, consumed, burnt up, finished. Uh, you know, and he said it is, it is finished and he died. He, Jesus died in his humanity, but because of his deity, his deity does not die. God does not die. And his, he was able to endure the wrath of God and rise from the dead, praise God. And so when we turn to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 15, we see that Jesus, in all that great description of him, has feet of brass. In other words, he's, he's the one that has endured the wrath of God. The judgment has taken place and Jesus has endured it for us, praise God. Now, when you look around the world today, everyone knows the world is in a mess. Everyone sees what's happening in the world, the problems, the, you know, the wars, the fighting, the disease, the murders and all the sort of things that are taking place. But no one will, well not many, will acknowledge that the problem is sin. That's an old-fashioned word. It's a religious word that the society has wanted to do away with. In fact, I remember when I started my ministry, there was a book I read uh, that made a deep impression upon me. It's called Whatever Happened to Sin? It's written by a Christian psychiatrist whose name was Carl Menninger. And he said it's disappeared in two steps. First of all, sin became crime. So we've taken it away from God, but there's no accountability to God now. We're accountable to society. He said, and then crime became sickness. People do these things because they've got a mental health issue. They've got a, you know, this problem and so on. And so there's no responsibility. All the responsibility has been taken away. And people will not acknowledge it for what it is. Old-fashioned sin that is the cause of the problem. Now, look at what the Israelites were not told to do when this problem was spreading through the camp and people were getting sick and dying and falling down. They were not told to make ointment to put on the bites. That's, that's a picture of like what, what religion does. You know, it'll prescribe religious things you've got to do. Go and confess to the priest or go and do penance or go on a pilgrimage or do good works to compensate for, for the evil. No, he never said that. He didn't say put ointment on the bites. Neither did God tell them to have faith in Moses. They looked to Moses. They looked to Moses, but Moses went to God and God told them what to do and lifted up the pole. And he said, don't look at me. Look at this and you will live. Don't look at me. And we know that today uh, a lot of contemporary Christianity encourages people to look to the pastor or the, or, or the leader at the front. He's become like a superstar, the celebrity pastor. He's going to make it all happen for you. He's got the tricks. He'll pull everything out of the bag and, and, and you'll go away with all the goodies. No, don't, Moses said, don't look at me. Look to the serpent on the pole. Neither did he say, gaze intently upon your wounds. 
And again, Christianity does that. You know, there's a great emphasis on we need to repent. Have you really repented? You know, we need godly sorrow. Let me tell you, you can't have godly sorrow until you're godly. You ask people to come to Christ with godly sorrow, you, they can't. They're not godly yet. They're not born again. Amen? And, and, and so there's a lot of... See, what that does, it gets the focus back on me. And, and, and God is saying, look away from you. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and be saved. Or let's look at how the way society deals with it. It would try to fight the serpents. Okay, that's what we're, we're doing. And look, I'm not, you know, having a go. I mean, people are doing the best they can to deal with the problems we have in society. Uh, but, you know, as much as we fight crime, crime increases. Amen. As much as people try to fight drugs and, and that sort of stuff, they come up with record busts every, every time. Never seen so many drugs trying to come into our country. We're not getting on top of the problem because it's not the way. God is not saying that we need to try to reform society. He said, you must be born again. Change man on the inside out, not from the outside in. It doesn't work that way. And so this was God's remedy. Can you just imagine people dying and saying, that's stupid. You want us to look at this bronze serpent you put on a pole? There's serious things going on here. We've got to deal with this thing properly. They were probably scolded him, mocked him, and, and disbelieved him. And what, as a consequence, they died. They died. But those that looked to the serpent lived. They were just told to look at the serpent on the pole. Looking to that which was lifted up was the only remedy. Let's, let's quote from that passage in the Old Testament that Jesus was referring to. Numbers 21 verse 8, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. Simple as that. Just look and live. Likewise, those who look to Jesus on the cross with a believing heart are saved. Look away from yourself. Don't even look at your look. <laughs> Some people get in the whole big thing about your faith. Is your faith genuine? Is it a faith that brings forth fruits? And then what we're doing, we're looking again at ourselves. Don't even look at your look. Look to Jesus. Look away from yourself to him who was lifted up on the cross and believe in him. No matter how many times a person may have been bitten, no matter how far the poison had advanced, if he only looked, he would live. Can you, can you just imagine, like, if you were there, you're trying to help these people to get them to, oh, don't worry about him, he's too far gone, you know, like, look how, he's almost dead. Or to see how many times that person's been bitten by a snake, forget these ones, get over the ones that there's still a chance. No, anyone, anyone, doesn't matter how far a person has gone, how deep they've fallen into sin, there is hope in Jesus. I had the privilege yesterday of uh, ministering to a group of people up in Bean Lee in a a recovery program for people who've been to prison and uh, been in drug addiction and that sort of thing. And it was just the joy to see the grace of God working in these people's lives. 
lifting them. You know, the Bible says that we've been saved to the uttermost, but some people have been saved from the guttermost to the uttermost. Amen. Where sin abounds, God's grace abounds much more. That's the good news of the gospel. It doesn't matter what you've done, how far you've gone. Jesus can save you. Look and live. Whoever believes in him, Jesus said, should not perish, but have eternal life. All who looked in faith were healed. Now, there's a wonderful verse in Isaiah, and it's one of those little glimpses of where God just opens the curtain and shows that he's not just for Israel. He's going to reach out to the whole world. And it says this, Look to me and be saved all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Do you remember? This was, this was blowing Nicodemus away. First of all, he thought that just being a Jew, that saved you. Jesus said, no, you've got to be born again. But then he even went further, Jesus, and, and just rocked his theology altogether. This is for the whole world. This is not just for Israel. It's for good and bad. It's for Jew and Gentile. Whoever looks to the Lord shall be saved. We're living in exciting times when God is reaching out to the whole world. Now, this is the Christian life. It's looking to Jesus. Amen? Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. <laughs> the finisher of our faith. He always completes what he starts. Amen? He's the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him has endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And you know, what, what I see in that is this, that, that Jesus did not just die to save us from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. Because we know that we, we, we still um, have this problem of, of, of sin and temptation as we go through the Christian life. And we will have that because we, we have the flesh. We're in the flesh until the day we die. But often we, we take that battle back on ourselves. Like we've got to fight this. We've got to defeat this. Friends, sin was defeated at the cross. Sin, not just this penalty, but its power. And that's why in the book of Romans, the Bible says, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. Sin is still there, but you are dead to sin. Something happened that, that basically took you out of that kingdom where sin was the controlling, dominating power, placed you into the kingdom of the Son of God where grace abounds, hallelujah, and empowers you and I to stand and say no to sin and yes to righteousness. That power is in us. And, and, and you know, I, I, I often illustrate it this way with, you, you've seen an elephant in a circus tied to a rope with just a stake banged in the ground. You think that elephant can just yank that thing out without even realizing it and walk away. What happened? Well, when it was a little baby, that rope was tied around it and the stake was in the ground and it couldn't move. And it's conditioned itself to thinking that stake will always control me. So it doesn't even try to move away. And friends, you know, look, when we're tempted, the feeling is still there. The desire is still there. Let's not kid ourselves. That's what temptation is all about. But we have the power to say no. Because grace abound. Because Jesus defeated 
sin at the cross. Look and live. Look to Jesus. Don't try to fight this thing. With, that's just morality. Trying to be a better person. Trying to do better next time. And taking it back on yourself. Reckon yourself to be dead indeed under sin and alive under God. Amen. That's good news. Now, we come to this most beautiful verse that every born-again Christian loves and probably most can quote off by heart. Amen. This is the heart of Christianity. But notice it says right at the beginning, for, because he's linking with what's gone before. And we'll come to that in a minute. But he says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So here we see that the cross not only demonstrates the holiness of God, but his love. Now it does demonstrate the holiness of God. That's what we've just been looking at. The fact that God had to deal with sin. He's a holy God. He cannot deny himself. He cannot countenance sin in any way. He cannot sweep it under the carpet or pretend it's not there. It has to be dealt with. He's a holy God. We see that at the cross. But back of that, see, he didn't have to do that. But he did it because he's love. God so loved the world that he was even to put our sin on his own son. He that spared not his only son. That's how much God loves us. God so loved the world. I love this verse. One of my favorite passages in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. In this. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son to be what? The propitiation. That word means the appeasement of God's wrath for our sins. God poured his wrath upon his own beloved son because he loves us so much. He loves us so much. And this is the love of God. Don't talk about the love of God unless you include that. A lot of people talk about the love of God and leave out what God did with our sin at the cross. In this is love. This is real, genuine love at its best. God so loved the world that he did that for us. Now, the death of Christ was the supreme demonstration then of God's love. God did not love us because Christ died. Rather, Christ died because God loves us. John 3.16 is the most well-known verse by Christians. It emphasizes that the salvation is a gift offered to the whole world and is received by believing in Jesus. How simple is that? Look and live. Look and live. No excuse. Look and live. Not asking you to do anything. Look and live. Salvation means forgiveness of all sins and freedom from condemnation, never to be condemned again, resulting in eternal life. And those who believe will never perish. Now, I want to share something with you at this point. And some of you have heard me share this before, others have not. And so that's what I'm just going to give you this little warning before I do. Because what does that word perish mean? I used to believe that it meant 
will go to hell and eternal, eternally and consciously be tormented forever and ever and ever without end. Uh, even after billions and billions and billions of years, still be tormented in this place called hell. Now, I believe that for, for most of my ministry. And I'm going to say that I don't believe that now. After hearing what others say about this subject and studying the scripture for myself, I cannot believe that that is what the Bible teaches. Now, I'm not asking you to change your view on that. I'm not asking you to do that. But neither am I asking you to condemn me for this view until you've looked at it yourself. And there is a, um, a video on, on my YouTube channel. It's called, Is God a Tormenting Fire? The Bible says he's a consuming fire, not a tormenting fire. Consume means annihilation. And I believe that's what that word perish means. In fact, it is the meaning of that word perish. Okay, let's have a look here. The Greek word for perish is apolumai, which means to destroy, to die, to lose or perish. It's never translated as everlasting torment. It doesn't mean that. It means to come to an end. That which is killed, destroyed or perishes has ceased to function. It has ceased to be. So those who reject Christ will die, will perish, be ruined, destroyed. They will be reduced to non-existence. The wages of sin is death. Death means you, that's it. You're not alive anymore. Uh, Acts chapter 3 verse 22 to 23 uh, when, when the apostle Paul, Peter was preaching the gospel, he said, you know, that God promised in the Old Testament that he would send forth a prophet and whoever will not listen to him will be destroyed. Destroyed, that would cease to be. If something is said to die, to be ruined, to be destroyed and perish, how can it be said to, be, to continue to exist? Even more, how can it be said to, be, to eternally and consciously suffer torment? Now, I won't say any more on it than that, except to say that this, that people are already dead in sin. What they receive when you believe in Jesus is the gift of immortality, which is that you will never die, which is what Jesus said. Let's just go back. John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. What's the antithesis of that? But have everlasting life. You either perish or you'll have everlasting life. You'll either be annihilated, or you'll have everlasting life. Jesus came to give us everlasting life by forgiving us our sins on the cross. Now, let's move on as we just come to a close. He who believes in him is not condemned. Look at this. He who believes in him is not condemned. Are you condemned? No. You believe in Jesus, you are not condemned. Will you ever be condemned? Is there ever a time when God will condemn you? No, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But he who does not believe is condemned already. They're in a state of condemnation. If they die in that state, they will experience the judgment of God. Because he, why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. God did all that for us. He sent his only Son. He put our sin upon him. And we do not believe in him. We do not trust in him. There's no other way of salvation. 
And this is the condemnation. This is the reason. Now we're coming to the reason why people do not accept Christ. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They wanted to stay in their sin. They don't have to do anything but believe in Jesus, but they want to stay in their sin. All outside of Christ stand guilty and condemned. But this is the good news of the gospel. The judgment will not be passed until the day of grace has ended. And this is the day of salvation. The gospel is a call in this day of salvation to come out of darkness and into the light. That's what it is. To look at what Jesus has done. In fact, the Bible says that, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. God is not angry with the world. God, God has reconciled himself to the world. Now the gospel is now you be reconciled to God. That's the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you, you will be saved. Receive forgiveness of sins. Otherwise you will die in your sins. And th th there is no forgiveness outside of Jesus. So everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, said Jesus, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may clearly be seen that they have been done in God. Unbelievers are lost because they draw back from the light and want to remain in their sin. Let's be clear about that. God doesn't send people to hell. They choose hell by rejecting the offer of salvation. It is the love of evil deeds that keep, keeps people from responding to the light. This is the condemnation that light, that is Christ, has come into the world and men draw back from the light because they wish to remain in darkness and continue their evil deeds. So that's why atheism is a condition of the heart, not of the mind. It's a condition, you know, God says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now he looks to his mind to, to build up arguments and a case against the existence of God, but atheism is a condition of the heart because men want to remain in darkness. They don't want to be reconciled to God. They don't want to come into the light. But friends, what we've seen today is the beauty, the beauty and the wonder of the gospel. Jesus so wonderfully explains this man Nicodemus how you can be born again. You know, we can, we can make excuses for all the trouble in the world. We can blame this and we can blame that. We're all in the same boat. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all contributed to the problem. And God in his great love has sent his son to take it all upon himself. Take it away from you. Take it away from you. So there's no more sin, no more condemnation upon you. All he wants you to do is believe in him. It's that simple. Don't stay in the darkness. Come into the light. Be forgiven. Be reconciled to your heavenly father. Receive everlasting life. You were created to enjoy God for eternity. That's the wonder of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you the, the, this morning for the good news of the gospel. We know, Lord, that there's a lot of bad news, a lot of bad things happening in this life. But we thank you that you have sent the true remedy that gets right to the heart of the problem, which is sin. And that is by sending us a saviour. 
I do pray, Lord, if there's any listening to this message, Lord, whether here or online or later on online, we just pray that you'll touch their hearts, draw them to yourself, draw them out of the darkness into the light, out of death into life. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.